So just talked about tithing, one of the most controversial, uncomfortable topics in the church. And now today we're going to talk about homosexuality. So we're just getting all the controversy out in one day. Uh, if everybody's going to leave the church on the same Sunday, it's all good. Uh, we're going to hit it, rock it. I'm just kidding. Nobody's leaving in Jesus' name. Not allowed to now, but uh, we are in part four of our FAQ series and we are answering questions today about homosexuality. So if you haven't been here for our FAQ series or if you need a little bit of a refresher, uh, first of all, you can text message in questions throughout the day. If, if there's a question you have pertaining to this topic or perhaps another topic next week, we're talking about questions about suffering. How could a good God allow these things to happen that, that happen in our world? Maybe you've got a question related to that or, or even something different. You can feel free to text those into the church phone at 662-404-2489. Nobody's phone number is in there, so we're not going to, like, identify. It's, it's anonymous. Um, and Pastor Bo is actually going to be selecting a question for me that's submitted today for us to handle at the end of service. So. Feel free to shoot those in. That number should be up there through, through most of the day. Uh, we have three guidelines, three principles that we're using as these questions come in. In other words, I'm not just trying to give you my best opinion, although sometimes that's all I can give you. Uh, but we have three guidelines for how we come up with a, with a response. Number one, when God's word speaks clearly, we want to speak clearly. Um, we, we believe that when, when God's word is clear, there, there's no reason for us to, to diminish it, no reason for us to water it down, no much reason for us to hold it back. So we're going to allow God's word to speak clearly when it does. Uh, many times, uh, things that come up in relates, relation to our culture, that didn't happen in the Bible. Uh, and so in those cases, when we don't have a specific scripture that speaks clearly, we're going to appeal to biblical principle. What is, what is the greatest principle that the Bible uh, gives us here. And on occasion, we won't even be able to find that. And I will just give an opinion. When the Bible is silent, I'll give you my opinion. But when I give an opinion, I do my best to make sure that's a prayed up opinion, uh, that, that I've leaned in and listened to, to the voice of God. And so it's not just me up here spouting my thoughts. But I'll tell you, when it's just my opinion, I'll let you know. So today, like I said, part four, we're looking at questions of homosexuality. And in this message, really, I'm, I'm really just answering two messages that came in. Neither of these actually came in via text message. Both of these came in uh, through Facebook message. And, and so these are much longer uh, kind of scenarios, very specific scenarios where individuals said, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the situation. And then had quite a few questions nestled in there. So I'm actually shooting to answer about 10 to 12 questions out of these two messages. Uh, and we're going to do our best to, to answer it well. Let, let me say this too. Um, this is always the day that I dread when we do a series like this. Like if you open up for questions, it's like, okay, I know we're going to have to have a day about homosexuality. Um, I didn't get in ministry because I wanted to preach about gay people. Uh, it's not something that I signed up for or, or, or looked forward to, but I think in our culture, in our generation, this is probably the most important question for the church to respond to. Um, and, and I think up to, the, to, to our generation, I think it would be fair to say that the church has not always done a great job of answering those questions, um, that, that many times the church has, has given incomplete answers uh, or has given in sometimes even wrong answers to these questions. So this morning as uh, our production meeting, which is for our worship team and those who are kind of playing a part in our service, normally in that meeting we, we pray over our service. We pray that uh, the sound system will work and there will be no distractions and, and that everything will flow smoothly and that God will use our uh, Kid City team and our First Impressions team, that God will inhabit our praises in our worship. We pray over all these different things, but 
today, and I think it's only the second or third time I've ever done this, um, I told the team, I want us just, if you would, to lay hands on me and pray on me today because I know the, the responsibility, I feel the weight of this message. If I handle this poorly, if I respond to this incompletely, there, there are people who will be affected. There are families who will be hurt. There, there, in our church family, I know that there's a, a family with, there's a, uh, with a homosexual son. Uh, there, there's a gay, and there's a lesbian niece. Uh, there, there's multiple gay, lesbian family members represented in this room right now. And that's to, not to say that there may be people in this room who, who wrestle with some of these things themselves. So I know that this is very important. And so, so my prayer today, just so you know where I'm coming from, is the Bible says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. He, he wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was all of both. And so I am far, far short of Jesus. But my prayer today is that today's message would be full of grace and full of truth, that, that we would not miss on either of those targets. And so maybe we won't hit 100%, but, but I'm believing we're going to get 98% in each, that, that, that we're going to strive for grace and truth. So all that being said, let me share with you this first message that I received. It is fairly long. I'm going to read you the, the whole message, and then we're going to go back and pull out questions that are kind of buried in this message. This lady says, and let me say this, this lady uh, lives about 45 minutes away. She attends here occasionally, but because of the distance, she's actually the member uh, at a church closer to her home uh, that she's been, been at for a long time. So when she's up in this area, she'll pop in on us every once in a while, um, but she, she is the member at another church. But she sent me this message about five weeks ago, right as we were getting ready to start this series. She says, hi, I need to hear a pastor's perspective on a couple situations I'm concerned about. My daughter was raised in church, a small country church full of bigoted, racist, gossiping, backstabbing members. She has witnessed deacons stomp out of business meetings when they didn't get their way and heard stories of deacons narrowly avoiding a fist fight in the parking lot. She heard a Sunday school teacher said she wouldn't come to church anymore if the new parking lot was put across the street. She has seen her dear friends lied about from the pews of our church. And unfortunately, this seems to be the norm for small denomination X churches in Mississippi. She's 22 years old now. She has heard all of her life that all sin is equal in the eyes of God. So now that she's grown and moved away, she's questioning everything except her salvation. Because she's such a loving and accepting person, she attracts gay men. I've met these dear friends of hers. She says that they have honest conversations about homosexuality and that these friends know that she believes the Bible teaches that the act is a sin. But she also says that their sin is no worse than her sin. She's not double dating with them. It's just not really a part of their relationship. We had a conversation about those openly living a homosexual lifestyle being members of the church. My thought is no, because there's no remorse or regret for their sin. I feel the same way about heterosexual couples that are practicing sex outside of marriage. This has struck a chord with her because she's making plans to move in with her boyfriend. She says that her sin is no worse than the sins she witnessed in the church growing up, that her boyfriend is a much kinder person than any of them. I tried to explain that Christians sin all the time, that they should recognize the sin in their life, repent, and resolve to sin no more. That those who have embraced their sin and are making no attempt to make it right with God should not have a membership role in the church. I have absolutely no problem with them attending our church, just not being members. She said that if we were going to start turning away people who sin without repenting, then she knows lots of church members that need to be kicked out. And the problem is she's making sense. 
have our churches failed this generation of kids by not calling out the sin in our churches? So back to my question, how do I respond to her disgust with church as she knows it? Second question, she knows that I do not approve of her living with her boyfriend. But does that mean that I shouldn't visit, help her decorate her new home, babysit for his four-year-old? These are the things I want to do, but does this convey approval? She knows how I feel. I just don't want to do anything to encourage what I see as a mistake. Guys, today we are unpacking some real life. Um, there's a lot of questions buried in that message. And some of them may not apply to your situation, but I think all of us probably can connect to some piece of what this lady is sharing. Um, there's, there's a lot here. I'm going to do my best to, to help us unpack this biblically and to unpack it, again, full of grace and full of truth. Um, first of all, there's an assumption here that, that is made as a statement, but I'm going to phrase it as a question that's very central to her message. And that assumption is this, is that all sin is the same in the eyes of God. So is it? Uh, if you've grown up in church or been around Christianity for a much length of time, you've probably heard that phrase, that all sin is the same of the eyes of God, and, and the same of the eyes of God. And so, is it? And, and I would say yes and no. Yes, it is. Romans 6.23 says, very famously, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't say for the wages of lying is death, or for the wages of gossip is death. The wages of adultery is death, or the wages of pornography is death. It says for the wages of sin is death. And so whatever sin you struggle with, whatever thing has corrupted your life, you can insert that thing there. The wages is death. And when it says death, it does not mean death like we imagine death. It doesn't mean physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's a separating from God. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he said, you will surely die. Well, they didn't wither up and croak on the spot. What, what happened is they had a, a spiritual separation from God. That is ultimately the worst death. That is ultimate death. Uh, and so the wages of sin is death. In other words, the price of sin is I can't be in God's presence. God cannot tolerate sin in his presence, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his goodness. I cannot come into his presence with sin. It separates me. And so there was no way for any of us to get to him. And so God sent Jesus to die in our place. And the theological term is the substitutionary atonement. He's substituted for me. He died for me. So he paid the price. He was separated from the father for the price for my sin and for yours. And so in this sense, absolutely all sin is the same. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. All sin separates us from God, whether you are your sin is some little thing that nobody else even knows about and somebody else would describe you as perfect or you are a mass murderer and everybody would describe you as evil or anywhere in between, all of us have been separated by God by our sins. So in that sense, all sin is the same. But there's another sense in which I would disagree with that statement. See, if you look at the Old Testament, it gives us a good idea about how God feels about sin. Specifically, the book of Leviticus lays out for us a ton of what we call the law. Uh, and the law's function is to demonstrate for us that we're, none of us are good enough, that none of us can get to God on our own, that we needed Jesus. And it functions really well because if you read through it, we all miss it. But what the law also does, interestingly enough, is it lays out different consequences for different sins. Let me give you some examples. If you in the Old Testament went and stole something from your neighbor, you stole your neighbor's cow. The penalty 
for stealing your neighbor's, neighbor's cow was you had to reimburse them. You had to get them another cow. You had to make, uh, make that right. That was the price for thievery. Uh, if you got into witchcraft, divination, the occult, the penalty for that was you were actually separated from the people of Israel. You were banished from the nation because that sin was, was so dangerous to the people around you that it would steal and take others from God's best for their life. You had to be separated. And there were three things at least, and there may be more, but I know of at least three in the Old Testament that actually were punishable by death. One of them is adultery. One of them is homosexuality. So what, why are there different levels? Why does God respond differently to different sins if all sin is the same? Well, all sin is the same in that God can't tolerate any of it. But all sin is not the same because God loves his creation. And certain sin hurts his creation more than other sin does. All sin separates people from God. But, but there are things that I can do that are going to be very damaging to someone else. Uh, and those are the things where God judges the most harshly. Why, why was adultery punishable by death? Well, if you've ever sat down, and I have, with someone who's been cheated on by their spouse, there is a heartbreak. There is a death in that relationship. Uh, now, I'm not saying that you need to go find everybody you know that's cheated on their spouse and kill them. That's the Old Testament, and that's not applicable anymore. We're not throwing stones. Jesus came in and said, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. That, that's not the generation that we live in, praise God. There's, we're in an, a, an era of grace, and we're very, very grateful for that grace that's been extended to us. Uh, but, but we see in Scripture that God does not respond to all sin the same. Some sin earns a a harsher response from God than others. And I believe those sins are the ones that, that he sees harming his creation the most. Proverbs chapter six gives us actually seven things that God hates. It says very clearly, there actually says there are six things that God hates, seven things that he detests. And that was a, a Hebrew way of phrasing things to say, Here, here's seven things. We're gonna give you a list of seven things and the last one's the worst. The last one has the greatest impact. And so in that list, Interestingly enough, homosexuality is not on that list, um, but a lot of things that you and I have probably partaken in are. One of those things, it says God hates a lying tongue. It's not good. It's bad, bad news for a lot of us. And then it goes on, the seventh one, the one he hates the most is someone who sows discord among brothers. In other words, somebody who comes in and, and gossips and, and, and sees here's a relationship, here's a friendship, here's two people doing life together, and I'm going to say something to one of them that's going to cause them to, to separate from the other. Sows discord, who sows hatred among brothers. And so we see that, that there, God hates all sin because it separates man from him, but there's some sin that he especially hates. So I don't think that, that we can just say that all sin is the same, in the eyes of God. Here's how I would say it, and I think is a better way of saying it. I would say that all sinners are the same. Not all sin is the same, because God doesn't respond to all sin the same, but all sinners are the same. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all equally need Jesus. We all are equally separated from him, but we can clearly see that some sin is more damaging in other ways besides just the separation of God than others. So the next question then is, does the Bible teach that homosexuality is a sin. Um, the Bible speaks of homosexuality seven times. 
and, and we're not going to have time today to unpack all seven of those incidents. I believe there's four in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament where it comes up. Um, if you're interested, it, when I, last time we did a series like this, uh, back in September, September 22nd of 2013, did a series uh, called Glad You Asked. And if you want to go check out the podcast, you can go to citychurchob.com, Glad You Asked Part 3. Uh, on September 22nd, 2013, actually unpacked all seven places in Scripture where we see homosexuality mentioned. Um, Here's what I can sum up for you from that. None of them are good. Not one time in Scripture is homosexuality presented in a positive light. Not one time in Scripture is homosexuality presented in a neutral light. It's not sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not. The, The testimony of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is that this is not God's best. That, that there, this is not what God has designed for us. Um, for today, I'm just going to show you one of these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's easy for us to, to look at that and, and identify, okay, it says men who have sex with men. And so if you're like, okay, well, what about lesbians? Well, Romans 1 specifically speaks of, of lesbians as well, so they're not off the hook either. It's easy for us to, to focus in on that, but what's scary to me is not so much that homosexuality is mentioned there. It's some of the other stuff that's mentioned. Look at verse 11. Nor thieves, or excuse me, the next one, verse 10, back to where you were, sorry. There we go. Here's who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. If we were to play like church, never have I ever, and everybody stood up and we got down the list, how many of us are gonna inherit the kingdom of God based on that? Like we're in trouble, right? So, so yes, it's easy to, to isolate homosexuality and say, okay, it's in the list. You're not inheriting the kingdom of God. There's not gonna be any gay people in heaven. Like that's, that's the response that, that a lot will make. But I, I think it's an incomplete response. Uh, ultimately, the people who aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God is the people who never yielded their life to Jesus. Never said, Jesus, I give my life to you. I'm going to pursue your best for my life. And so Paul, thankfully, doesn't end here in verse 10. He doesn't cut us off with, here's seven people who will never go to heaven. He, he, He expands on it. Now verse 11. Verse 11 says this, that is what some of you were. Oh, praise God, some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So, so he's saying we've got a church here in Corinth that's full of all this in their past. Here at City Church, one of the things that, that we aspire to be, we want to be a church that looks like heaven. And, and that means a few things specifically to us. Number one, that means it's a multiracial church. We, we, want, to, we want to look like Walmart. Right? Like if you go to Walmart, is everybody in the community is there. And we think that's what church should look like. Like whatever the com- Walmart in that community looks like, that's what the church should look like. We don't believe in segregation. We don't believe it's going to be segregated in heaven. The Bible says that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, everybody's going to be there. So we want to be a multiracial church. We want to be a multi-generational church. We don't want to just focus on young people or just focus on middle-aged people or just focus on this generation or that generation. We believe that there's power when generations come together. There's power, there's benefit for me when I sit down with somebody 30 years older than me. There's benefit when generations come together. So we want to be a multi-generational church. Heaven is full of generations. It's a beautiful thing. 
We want to be a multi-sin background church. We want to be a church of 1 Corinthians 6. We want to be a church that you can look, that, that God could look at us and say, this whole list of junk it's, it's in your church, but you're not that anymore. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been changed by the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And, and so we believe that God is calling us out of those things and into something better. And, and so homosexuality, again, is listed there. It's not God's best, but it's certainly not the unpardonable sin. It's certainly not the only thing that separates us from his best. Next question here. Should those in an openly homosexual lifestyle be church members? Should heterosexual couples having sex or living together outside of marriage be church members? This is, uh, again, where the rubber meets the road, right? Like this individual sees in her church, so there, there's this question, should we accept homosexuals as church members? Should her daughter, who's moving in with her boyfriend, should she be a member in a church? Uh, and, and these are... Difficult questions. I can't speak to their church. I don't know what their church, what membership means. Membership can mean different things in different places. Um, I'll speak to City Church. Here's what our membership covenant says. There's four parts of our membership covenant. I don't have time to get into all of it, but I'm going to share with you part four. Part four of our membership covenant says, I will support the testimony of my church. And then we give three specific examples of that, three, three things that we're declaring if you choose to become a member here and join in covenant with us. Uh, first, by attending church in city groups faithfully. So, for instance, I, I spoke with a guy on the phone this week, and I was really excited. I got a call from a guy uh, who they joined our church in 2012 and left our church in 2012. And I hadn't talked to him since then. And he called me this week and he says, you know what? I just, the whole time we've been gone, I know that we should have never left City Church. And we fell out and, and we need to be back. And so he's hoping to be back here in the next few weeks. And he's got kind of a, a physical situation that he's going through. And he's battling cancer right now. And uh, he's, he's gotten far from God. And, and God's used this situation in his life to bring him back. And so it's a, it's a cool thing. And I'm like, man, come on back. You don't have to repent. You're not going to have to, like, stand in front of everybody and tell them you failed. Like, just come on. We, we want you back. Um, but part of the membership covenant is I'm going to attend faithfully. They've been gone for four years. They're no longer members. Like, it just kind of dissolves. It's not like we just kicked them to the curb. It's just part of the commitment. Like, you're going to be here. You can't be part of the church family if you're never around. Like, that's just... Part of the expectation. The second line, by striving to live a godly life. And the third, by giving regularly. Well, I'm really going to focus in on that second line, striving to live a godly life. A few months ago, in fact, I guess it's almost last summer, so almost a year ago, uh, we did a series called The Struggle is Real. And in that series, God spoke through me a statement that at the time I had no idea how significant it would be or how it would impact so many people, but it's, it's become something of a mantra for us, something of a new value for us that I believe we're, we're going to hold on to. But I made this statement. I said, you're free to struggle here. You're free to struggle here. And I just kind of threw it out there and had no idea the, the ways that people would respond to that and how significant that would be for people. Um, you are. We, we have no expectation of perfection we have no expectation that you're going to have it all together. You are absolutely free to struggle at City Church. But there's something important and significant about that word struggle. Struggle means you're fighting. Struggle means you're working on it. Struggle does not mean I've accepted, well, this is just my sin. This is just my temptation. This is just the thing that, that I can't get over, so I'm just going to be happy right here. 
Struggle means, man, I, I'm, I've got people praying for me. I'm praying. I'm asking God for deliverance. I'm pushing forward. I'm getting better. I'm in process. And sometimes that process is quick, and sometimes that process is long, but you're in process. You're struggling. Uh, the mistake that we make as churches is we don't give people room to struggle. We expect perfection, and everybody keeps all their stuff hidden in secret because they can't let anybody know that they're going through something, and then nobody ever gets delivered because it's all a lie. We're not going to be that church. We're not going to be that hypocritical church. You are free to struggle here, but you got to struggle. you got to fight. In other words, you've got to want God's best for your life. You've got to pursue God's best for your life. And when God's word and God's spirit and God's people point out something in your life that, that, that doesn't measure up to his best, you've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to pick up my sword and I'm going to go to battle. And I may not win it the first day. I may not win it the first year. There's no timeline on this, but you've got to be willing to fight. You've got to be willing to struggle. And so the phrase in the, in the membership government is striving to live a godly life. Nobody in here is Jesus. Okay, I certainly am not. So, so all of us, we could look into our life and probably find some areas that, that we need to work on. And, but, but are you trying? Are you striving? That's what we ask of our members. That's what we ask for people who, who sign up. So we have never had a homosexual couple try to become members here. That day probably will come. We haven't had that situation come up at City Church. We have had a situation where a man and woman who were living together outside of marriage wanted to join. And what we told them, myself and our elders, we sat down with them very lovingly and very graciously as we said, look, you're welcome to be here. We want you here. And we'd love to marry you. Man, when you're ready, you say the word and we'll sign that paper. But while you're embracing living outside of God's best, we can't let you take that step into membership. And that was an uncomfortable conversation. I didn't enjoy it or look forward to it. But, but we're going to uphold a standard that we're going to strive for God's best. And so we said, hey, whenever you're ready to get married, let us know. Whenever you're ready to move out and separate for a season until you can get married, let us know. Like there, there are options here, and we want to help you to find that best option. But the best thing is not for you. And, and then somebody will bring up, well, what about living together and not sleeping together? They were sleeping together by their own testimony. Um, if you're not sleeping together and you're living together, I'd still advise you to move out because you're putting yourself in temptation. I couldn't do it. Like, if I was living with a woman, and you, like, Melody, it would have happened. That's why we didn't live together until we got married, right? I'm just, you might be stronger than me. I'm just being real, okay? So I, I would advise taking that step. Uh, but, but in this situation, we knew they were sexually, it wasn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like acts. It was a, it was a systematic, frequent thing. Um, so those people... They chose to attend here for a while, and they ended up moving on, and I hope that they come back. We'd love to have them, and we'd love to help them take that step. You are free to struggle here, but if you're going to take that step of membership, there's a commitment there that I'm going to strive for God's best. I'm going to miss the mark more often than not. I'm not going to hit it, but I'm going to do my best to get there. And where we see living together and homosexuality, where we see it falling short is it's an acceptance it's a daily, my lifestyle is going to fall short of God's best. And, and that's where we would encourage people, God's got something better for you. And so that's how we would respond to that in our context. Um, next question she asked. She said, have our churches failed this generation of kids by not calling out the sin in our churches? I'd say probably. We probably have. The, the fact that this girl can move in with her boyfriend and say, look, 
people in leadership, not just people at the church, but people in leadership at the church are doing this and this and this and this and this. How come they can do that and I can't do this? There's a failure there. Uh, there, there's a culture, there, there's a mistake there that the church has made of not pursuing God's best, of not dealing with other stuff, not dealing with gossip, not, not dealing with anger, not dealing with lies and deceit and whatever else. And so because they've tolerated those sins, now it's told this girl a lie that she can tolerate hers, that she can accept hers. And, and so the mistake is that the church didn't deal with the stuff the church needed to deal with. God says that judgment starts in the house of God. Much, much more than we need to go stand on the corner and protest this thing in the culture and that thing that the government is doing. We need to get our stuff right. We need to get ourselves right. We need to line up with God's word. There, there was a lady, some of you are familiar with this story. There was a lady named Kim Davis, and, and Kim uh, worked for a, a local government in Kentucky. And when the Supreme Court ruling came down last summer uh, that gay marriage was legalized, Kim decided as clerk of the court for this city, I'm not signing any marriage licenses for homosexual couples. I'm standing up for the word of God. I'm making a stand for what's right, and we're not going to marry any gay couples. And, and there were a ton of Christians who supported her, and, and, and I think that her heart was probably right in that. But, but I think there's two mistakes. Number one mistake is what I think she should have done is she should have resigned. If you work for a place that wants you to do something that's not godly, um, you can say no, but when your boss says, no, you're going to do this, that's when you say, okay, here's my resignation. Like, I got to go. Like, if you, if you and your conscience can't do it, then, then you need to step down. Uh, not hold the, you know, hey, this is how we're going to do it here in this city, and I'm going to change the rules. God doesn't give us the authority to make the rules. Uh, he gives us the responsibility to answer for the way that we respond to them. And so I think she missed it on that. But the bigger problem is it, the media started digging into it, of course, and they found out, whoa, Kim Davis has been married four times, right? And so she's standing up for the sanctity of marriage, but what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? And, and let me be clear, um, my dad was divorced and got remarried, and I'm from my dad's second marriage, so I'm very grateful for second marriages. So if you're in here and you've been remarried, like I'm not like you're going to hell because you got remarried. I'm really, really glad that my dad got married again. That's a good thing, uh, or I wouldn't be here. Um, but I think the Bible is also clear that, that a divorce is never God's best. Sometimes it's necessary. Uh, but chances are, if you've been divorced and remarried four times, you probably did something out of convenience, uh, more, more often than not, not in every case, but I think in her case, it, when people started digging into it, you could see the, the history was there. The track record was there. And so what we've done is we've seeded our moral high ground. How can we stand up against homosexuality when we've allowed so much other sin in the church? And this is where I'd say we've failed this generation. We've not failed this generation because we haven't taught enough about homosexuality. We've failed this generation because we haven't taught enough about dealing with sin. And because we haven't dealt with anything else, then all of a sudden homosexuality comes out, and now Christians want to take a stand. And everybody's like, whoa, how come? Well, you're just doing that because you hate gay people. And sometimes they're probably right. In some cases, some Christians are taking that stand because they hate gay people. Now, we're going to stand on the word of God. And we're going to love gay people. We are going to love people. That's where you're supposed to say amen. We're going to love people, right? We're going to stand up for the word of God. But, but we got to stand against sin. And we can't isolate this one sin. And we got to stand against this. And we're going to stand against that and make a stand here. And we got all this other stuff that we just kind of wink at and we ignore. We got, we got to stand up on all of it and not stand up at all. And so we got to stand, and that's where we failed. If we're going to say we failed this generation, I don't, uh, it's that we haven't dealt 
with sin, that we've tolerated sin. When I worked at Taco Bell when I was 16, I got hired, worked there actually all the way till the time I was 20. I spent four years making tacos, believe it or not. Great, great ministry training. Some of the best ministry training I ever got. Um, the guy who hired me, little did I know at the time, but he, he was openly gay. And so my gaydar was a little off. I didn't realize it. Found out later on when another employee told me, yeah, he hired you because he said he thought you were cute. And that kind of bothered me and then weirded me out a little bit. And, and, and then I found out that a lot of the other employees there were gay because like attracts like, right? And so he's homosexual manager and he'd hired a lot of other homosexuals on, on the staff. And it bothered me. Like it upset me, 16 years old, Christian, junior in high school, you know, that, that I was working with all these homosexuals. And I remember exactly where I was. I remember I was actually taking a shower one day and, and praying about my job. And I remember God spoke to me like clearly that how come you're so upset about this, but here's these three other shift managers who are living with their girlfriends and that doesn't bother you at all. He like called out the hypocrisy in my own heart. Uh, and, and I had to repent. And I, I had to give that to him. And, and, and he gave me a heart for those people that I worked with. But you know what? My son died for those people. He died for their sin. He died to bring them into his family. Don't you dare hate them because of, because of the mistake that they make in their life. And I had to repent, and God really started to do a change in my heart there. And, and I believe very strongly that it's not God's best. But I also believe very strongly that, that we got to love them through it. We got to love them in the midst of it. We, we got to make sure that they know where our heart's at. And so the next question she asked, the specific question she asked as she got to the end is, how do I respond to her disgust with church as she knows it? And here's what I told her. I said, you got to acknowledge she's got some right points. You can't stand up and be like, church has got it all together and you're totally wrong. She's made some very legitimate points here. There's some legitimate hypocrisy in this church that she's grown up in. Some really, some, some bad stuff that, that's pushed her to the place where she's at. And now she's missing out on God's best. And maybe she's justifying it and maybe she's using it. And deep down inside, I think she probably knows that she's wrong. But she's, she's been led to a bad place because she's had some bad experiences. And so I said, acknowledge it. Lean into it. You know what? You're right. She even said it in her message. She said, problem is she's making sense, right? You can tell her that. You're making sense. But what I would also say is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, God loves the church. Jesus died for the church. The local church is the hope of the world. It is the only organization that God ever created. He designed it for us to carry forth the message of Jesus Christ. And it's flawed and it's messed up and it's imperfect, but we can't give up on church. Uh, and so what I would tell this girl is she needs to find a healthy church. She needs to find a life-giving church. She needs to find a place where, where, where things are better. There's no perfect church, but I do believe there are healthy churches. And, and I believe the church that she's in right now is not healthy. And so she needs to find a healthy church where there's people pursuing God, chasing after God's best, uh, where, where people are, there, there's an atmosphere of grace and of love and, and where people will, will embrace her through her season, um, however long that is. Uh, and, and I believe that that would be the best move she could make. Now, this daughter lives another 45 minutes, hour away. City Church probably isn't the place. Um, but I do believe we got a lot of junk, but I think we're a healthy church. I think this is a healthy place where people can be and they can connect and they can grow. And there, there's others out there. What Our prayer is we want to be a breath of fresh air. 
for, for, for people just like this girl who, who've been in a toxic church environment, who've been in a place that, that's stifling, that's life-sucking, we want to be a place where, man, you can come in, into a group, whether it's in our service or a city group or where our people are, where you step into the presence of our people and it's, oh, it's fresh air. I could breathe. It was life-giving because we believe Jesus was a life-giving spirit according to 2 Corinthians. And we're called to be life-giving. So, so that, she needs to find a church like that, wherever that might be. And the last question she asked, she knows that I do not approve of her living with her boyfriend. But does that mean that I shouldn't visit, help her decorate her new home, babysit for his four-year-old? Those are things I want to do, but does this convey approval? She knows how I feel. I just don't want to do anything to encourage what I see as a mistake. Um, I have two brothers. Uh, I have brother Nick, who's three years younger than me from my dad's second marriage. He's my full brother. And I have an older brother, John, who's 12 years older than me from my dad's first marriage, my half-brother. Um, both of my brothers are living with their girlfriends right now. Uh, and, and so I get this question, like, on a deeply personal level. I understand what this person is going through. And, and here's how I respond to my brothers. Both of my brothers know how I feel that it's not God's best that God has something better for them. But they both know I love them. They're welcome in my home. I'll come visit you. We'll call. I'm there for you. I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. Um, they know that if they come to visit, that they got to sleep in separate bedrooms. That's just the, our house rules. We're, we're not going to help create an environment for you to do something that's outside of God's best. But in your house, you're going to answer to God for how you respond, and that's your decision. And so they know that. They know where we stand. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I had an English teacher who was just very significant in my life. It was the first time I went to public school, and Mr. Katz was my English teacher. And Mr. Katz was, I think, an atheist. If not, he was very, very far from God. Um, but he was a phenomenal teacher. And so we were doing a fundraiser for our, our youth group at church to raise money for an organization called Speed the Light. Speed the Light supports missionaries. They raise money for, for vehicles, for microphones, for things that missionaries need to get the word out. So we were doing a fundraiser, and it was a 24-hour basketball tournament. And so we were going to play basketball for 24 hours. It was like my dream, my freshman, like my eighth grade year, right? Like, how cool is that? Uh, and so we were going to get sponsors for every hour that you played basketball. You know, you got a dollar or a quarter or whatever else. Um, so I was going around getting sponsors, and I went to Mr. Katz, and I asked him to sponsor me to raise money to, for missionaries. And I'll never forget his response. Mr. Katz looked at me, and he said, Troy, I don't believe in missions. I don't believe in, in spreading Christianity. I'm not a Christian. But I believe in you. And because I believe in you, I'm going to sponsor you. And he signed my sheet, and he committed X amount, whatever, per hour. I don't remember the total. And he came through. He came through with a check after I played basketball for 24 hours. Um, I think whether it's the gay family member the gay loved one, whether it's the, the person, the, the daughter living with the boyfriend, I think that phrase is huge. I don't believe in what you're doing, but I believe in you. I recognize the dignity that you are created in the image of God. I believe God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so that's where I'm at with my brothers. I don't believe in what they're doing. But I believe in them. I believe they're going to be saved one day. I believe God's going to get a hold of them. He's going to radically change their life. I don't know when. I'm like, okay, God, I thought it was going to be sooner than this. Hadn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. I believe in my brothers. And so I think you can, you can absolutely, what I told this lady in my Facebook response to her, as I said, go to her house, help her decorate, watch her boyfriend's four-year-old. Like, uh, they know where you stand. 
You've made it very clear that you don't think this is God's best for their life. You don't have to write her out of your life. You don't have to to, to make this stand that somehow she's going to come back. I don't think that's God's best at all. So love her in the middle of it. Love her through it. Accept her in the middle of it. She knows where you stand. Be there for her. And that's my best advice, whether I had somebody come up after first service to say, man, that, that was, I absolutely needed to hear that because I got a daughter who's living with her boyfriend right now, and I don't know how to respond to it. So she needed to hear that. So I would release God's people, go love that family member. Now, if God specifically says no, if you, you may hear God's voice, there may be a situation where God needs somebody to, to hear something different. That's fine. I leave that door open. But as far as a general principle, love people, man. Go after them. As long as they know where you stand, I think that phrase is huge. I don't, be, I don't believe in what you're doing, but I do believe in you. All right, I know we're getting kind of late, guys, but stick with me. This, the second message that came in isn't nearly as long. Just a couple questions buried here. It says this, people are born sinners, perhaps just a sinner, a natural sinner like you and I. Do you think people could be born with chemical imbalances causing them to become serial killers, pathological liars, or my biggest question, gay? Can you be born gay? I love when all people and actually have gay family members. And while some of my older family members are purely disgusted with them and believe they are going to hell, I feel like they're just awesome people. They are believers in Christ, and I can call them when I'm down, and they will pray over me and point me to uplifting scripture. They are actually more Christ-like than the haters of the family. So if we are all born sinners, could some people just be born with that sin? So this is, I think, the big question of our culture, right? That are people born gay? And, uh... You may or may not appreciate my response. My best response is ish, uh, and I'll help unpack that for you uh, as we go. That's a theological term. Um, so uh, first question embedded here is, are, can people be born sinners? So let, we'll start there, and then we'll move out to can people be born gay? Um, people are absolutely born sinners. David articulates this specifically in Psalm 51. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. He even goes so far later on to say I was sinful at conception. Uh, Here's what we believe. We believe that sin is actually passed down from the father to the child. This is why Jesus could be born of a woman and sinless because he didn't have a human father. That's why it was so important for him to be born of a virgin, to be born in that situation. So uh, Judah and Alexa, they get their sin from me. Sorry, guys. Uh, That's the way that, whether it's DNA, whether it's spiritual DNA, I don't know exactly how it works, but sin is passed down from the Father, and we are all sinners. It's in our nature. It's in our being. It's how we roll from the beginning. Um, So the next question, could people be born with an inclination towards a certain sin? I would say yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My dad, before he got saved, was a massive alcoholic for about 17 years. Very, very significant problem in his life. Messed up a lot of his relationships, caused him a lot of pain, caused a lot of other people a lot of pain. Both of my brothers, who I've already talked about today, big-time alcoholics. Caused them a lot of pain, caused a lot of pain in their relationships, caused a lot of other people a lot of pain. By the grace of God, or very early on in my life, I realized I'm never going to drink. It's not something that I'm going to do. Self-control is not my greatest gift, uh, as you will discover if you see me around a Dr. Pepper. Like, uh, like I can go, like, say, keep sending the waiter back for another one, right? So if I would have started drinking, I would have been bad. Like, I know this. Like, I had all, like, the stereotypical, like, if I would have gotten alcohol, it would have not been pretty. 
Um, and so thankfully by God's grace, he spoke to me early on, you're not going to drink. To this day, I've drunk in my life less than the total of two beers. Never been close to drunk. Um, I've tasted alcohol about three times. I have no desire for it. It's not something that's for me. Now, I can't sit here and say that anybody who drinks is a sin, but I can tell you if I drink, it's a sin. It is not for me. God, very clearly, you are set apart from that. Alcohol is not supposed to be in my life. Um, and and I, have, I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't feel like, man, God just deprived me of a lot of fun because I can't get drunk and throw up all the time. I don't know. Um, so I'm pretty good with it, actually. It's cool. Um, so, yes, I believe people can be born with an inclination towards sin. Now, we can get into the genetics of it. Uh, we, we can get into the spiritual side. Spiritually, the Bible says that the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the sons. There's a, a principle in the Old Testament that pops up many, many times of, of generational curses. Uh, and, and so sometimes that fleshes out specifically with one issue that fleshes out in a family time and time again until that curse is broken. And for me and my kids, that curse is broken. My kids are not growing up with, with alcoholic uh, inclinations. I'm just, we're released from that in Jesus' name. Um, so, so that can happen, uh, absolutely. If you study personality types, you get into different personality types. Every personality type has strengths. And it has weaknesses. So just to give you one example, uh, there's a, a million different personality tests out there, but there's one that, that tells you that I'm what's called a sanguine. Uh, the, and I'm sanguine choleric. Actually, on strengths, I'm equal sanguine choleric. So choleric is like the strong leader the, represented by the lion. They get stuff done. Their weaknesses, they can trample all over people. They can hurt people in the process. Uh, I don't have any of the choleric weaknesses. All my, all my weaknesses are sanguine weaknesses. So sanguine is represented by the otter. Sanguine's the, the life of the party. It's the person you want to be around. That's the strength. The weakness of sanguine, I don't have a ton of sanguine strengths. I've got middle ground sanguine strengths. But I got all the sanguine weaknesses. Sanguine weaknesses are they'll manipulate. They'll be dishonest. They'll say one thing and do another. They don't hold on to long-term meaningful relationships. They use people. Like, you can go on down the list, and every one of those things, if I'm not careful, is me. Like, every one of those things, I've got to be on my guard that when I say something, I'm going to follow through and keep my word. I've got to, because Sanguine's a people pleaser. And so you tell people what they want to hear, whether or not you actually intend to follow through with it or not. That's a personality. That's the personality God gave me. But it comes with some embedded inclinations towards specific sins. And we could go through each personality type and you could find yourself and be like, yep, those are the weaknesses that I have. Those are the things that are easier for me to sin in. And so we're all born sin. We're not all born with the same sin. Your sin and the things that you struggle with isn't necessarily the same thing that I struggle with, but we're all born with inclination to sin. So the big question, can you be born gay? It's a complicated one. Um, I don't think there's an easy answer, and I think there, so, so you've got kind of the, the liberal side over here that says absolutely people are born gay, and then you've got the stereotypical evangelical side that says no, nobody's born gay, it's a choice, and I believe the truth is actually somewhere in the middle, uh, but what I actually think is it's a case-by-case basis. Um, I, I believe there are some people absolutely who are homosexual, who are molested by somebody of the same gender as a kid, and that created a, an appetite in them early on. I believe there are some people who are homosexual uh, because they have stereotypical masculine traits or stereotypical feminine traits, and they've been told all their life, oh, you're gay. Um, In fact, I had lunch just a couple weeks ago with a young man from another church uh, who who said, hey, I need a pastor's opinion on something. So we grabbed lunch at Nukes, and we sat down, and, and he shared with me 
how everybody in his life, even in his church life, keeps on asking him if he's gay. And he said, so he's a young man, called into ministry, wants to serve God with his life. I think he's a good kid. Uh, He he said, it got so bad that even one of the pastors who I serve under sat me down and, and said, I don't know if you can serve in my ministry anymore because I'm tired of people asking me if you're gay. Um, I got pretty angry over that, uh, because here's what I think happens. And I, what I told him, I asked him, I said, okay, so where are you at? And he said, no, I'm not. He said, my parents divorced when I was really little and I grew up with my mom and my sisters and I've been around women my whole life and I'm just stereotypically more feminine. And so then we get into nature versus nurture, right? And what's, and I think there's probably both. I think he's probably got some more feminine genetics and he's got some more feminine nurture and it fleshed out to where he's got some more, he's stereotypically feminine. Uh, And so here's what I told him. I said, look, man, first of all, what's happened to you isn't okay. This has not been handled well and and it breaks my heart that it's been handled this way. But but let's be honest, you're at risk because if all you've heard all your life is you're gay and now your church family is telling you that you're gay, at some point in time, you're going to say, I've got this whole community over here that keeps rejecting me and keeps saying that I can't be a part of this. And hey, there's this community over here that'll accept me for the way that I am. At some point in time, you're going to end up over here. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but, but I believe absolutely there's people that that's how it's happened. They've, they've embraced a community that will embrace them because we haven't done a good enough job of embracing people who are different. And so they went and found somebody else who would. Uh, and Proverbs says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. You keep on telling somebody you're gay, some point in time they're going to believe you. Some point in time they're going to take you up on it. Uh, and, and so I believe that that's some people who end up over there, that's how they got there. I believe some people end up over there, like I said, because they were molested. I believe some people end up there absolutely because it's a choice and they wanted to experiment with something in college and try something and, and they activated something. And yes, I believe that some people end up over there because they were born with an inclination to it genetically because they, they, they had that gene or that sin was passed down from the father to the child, which by the way, dudes who sit at home when nobody's watching, watching lesbian pornography, sins of the fathers passed to the kids. We got a whole epidemic of dudes watching women do things to each other. And all of a sudden, homosexuality is so much more prevalent than it's ever been. And we think, what happened? It's how it happens, guys. It's what the Bible says. The sins of the fathers are passed on to the kids. So, yes, I believe that some people can be born with that. And I know that that's not a popular opinion in an evangelical church. But I do believe that it can be. 100%. Ultimately, I don't think it matters. Because we're all born with sin. We're all fall short of the glory of God. And God calls us all to submit it at the cross. Submit everything in me that is not his best design, everything in me that isn't what he wants for me, to give that to him. And and so for the homosexual, for the person who's struggling with that, whether you were born with it or or not born with it or or whatever, what I would say to you is this. God's got something better. He's got something better. And you are free to struggle here. Man, I've had conversations with with multiple people in this church who said I'm dealing with this or struggling with this on, on this specific issue and giving them that, be here. Continue to be here. Serve. We're going to help you through this. We're going to rally around you through this. Um, there's, we're not expecting perfection. In other words, if you, if you slip up and you mess up in an area related to this, doesn't mean all of a sudden you can't be here anymore. But you got to accept the fact that God's got something better. 
This isn't who he created you to be. If you were born this way, it wasn't because God said, I want you to be born that way. It's because the fallen world has distorted what God intended originally. And and let's pursue God's best. And for some people, I've seen it happen both ways. For some people who who have homosexual inclinations, sometimes God will restore that and deliver them. And, And I've seen people who today are in healthy, godly, heterosexual relationships and marriages. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's what I always am going to pray for and pursue for people. But I've also seen people that, man, it didn't happen that way. And they prayed for it and they asked God for it. And you know what? I'm still attracted to the same gender. And and people in that situation, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 7 is very clear. There's some people who are just supposed to be celibate. And so that's what I would say. You know what? You're not responsible for your temptations. You're responsible for what you do with your temptations. Jesus was tempted. So none of us are responsible for, we're we're not being held accountable for the fact we're tempted. We are going to be held accountable for how we respond to the temptation. Uh, And and so let us help you. Bring it out into the light, man. Anything that that is uncovered, God can cover. But the things that we cover, God has to uncover. Uh, So that would be my greatest encouragement there. So real quick, I know we're already over time. I'm going to make this in two minutes. I want to give three quick things that we need to do to respond to homosexuals in our lives. Three, three principles, three things you can write down, you can hold on to, you can grab hold of. How do we respond to the homosexuals in our family, in, in our culture, in our schools, in our workplace, wherever that might be? Number one, we need to commit to love people no matter what. Commit to love people no matter what. In other words, just because their sin is different or, or doesn't make sense to us does not mean that we cannot love them. We're going to love people no matter what, whatever they're going through, whatever their challenges, we are going to love people. Why? Because God loves them. Because Jesus died for them. And the same Jesus who died for me died for them. And we're going to love them in whatever the situation is. Secondly, and probably most important application for most of us in this room, commit to deal with the sin in my own life. Before we can stand out and shout at the culture how messed up it is, we got to get it right. Judgment starts in the house of God. And before we can, we can blame this politician or that judge or this president or this group of people or this political party or whoever for whatever's going wrong in our country, we got to look at ourselves first. If the church had been who we were supposed to be, our country would not be openly embracing a lie. And that's what's happening right now is, is we're embracing a lie that homosexuality is okay. And it's not. It's not God's best. But it's on us. And we got to own that. We got to feel that. We got to repent for that. And, and we got to deal with the sin in our own lives. Instead of worrying so much about everybody else's sin, man, pray that you get a hatred for your own sin. If you get anything out of this message, just pray that. God, help me to hate the sin in my life. Help me to see the sin in my life the same way that you do. If we could get that, we could have so much greater impact in our culture. We could do so much more to, to help people through whatever their challenges are. Lastly, we put up point number three for us. The, the, the last thing that we need to do is we need to ask God for the wisdom and the strength to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. See, there will be a time when we need to open our mouth. I, I don't think that time is probably on Facebook. Um, I don't think that time is, is every opportunity when you see that person who's homosexual, you're going to hell and you're in sin and this isn't right. I don't, I don't think that at all. But I do think if you have loved ones, if you've got close family members, if you've got people who are near you who are in this, God will open a door at the right time for you to lovingly tell them God's got something better. But you darn sure better pray your way through that. 
Because if you do that at the wrong time, you do that in the wrong way, you do that in the wrong tone, you push them away. But God is drawing people to himself. That's who Jesus is. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me. He's drawing people to himself. We need to be somebody who's drawing people to Jesus. And the way we handle those conversations matters. We can't just jump into them. We, we better be wise. We better be prayed up. We better be cautious. And we better make sure that we speak the truth in love, that, that we pray that, God, just like Jesus, let me be full of grace and full of truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you are a good God. And Lord, that there's no situation that we face or that we handle that you have not given us wisdom for. And so God, right now, we, we publicly as a church, God, as city church, as the, the leader of this church, God, I repent and we repent for ways we haven't dealt with our own sin. God, how can we ever help the world pass what's holding it back if we don't even let you breathe your life into us. And so God, we ask you right now to help us to hate our sin. God, help us to see the sin in our own life the same way that you do. Whatever that sin is, God, whether it's of a sexual nature or, or, or a dishonest nature, Father God, or a greedy nature or whatever it might be, God, show it to us, reveal it to us and help us begin to hate it the way that you do, that we'd get rid of it, that we'd put it to death. God, we ask as, as we interact with people who consider themselves gay or lesbian or bi or trans or, or whatever it may be, God, that, that you would give us the ability to be like Jesus, that we would be full of grace and full of truth, and we'd have the wisdom to know when to operate in which side, Father God, when to speak truth and when to keep our mouth silent, God, when just to pray for people and pray with people and when to, to point something out to them. God, give us that wisdom. Help us to know and to discern from your voice, God, that we'd respond to this the way it needs to be responded to. God, that the lost would come to Jesus. God, that Christians who, who are hurting and ostracized would find a safe place to struggle with their sin, to struggle towards your best. God, that we would all truly strive to live the godly life you've called us to. We thank you for all this, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Wrap up very quickly. Pastor Bo's got a question for us. Just text it in and then we'll uh, be on our way. What you got? He's smiling. I'm scared. I had a hard one, but I thought I'd go with this one. Uh, if a homosexual married couple were to come to this church, would we try to convert them to become heterosexual people? And if we did, wouldn't they have to get a divorce? And that would also not be good. So how would we handle that? Awesome, awesome question. Um it's, it's a phenomenal question. When I was in Bible college, I took an anthropology class, and in the anthropology class, the, they wrestled actually with the question of polygamy because uh, it was basically from a missions perspective. You go into uh, a place where the gospel has never been taken, and it's a polygamous land, and there's a man there who has seven wives, and he comes to Jesus. What do you do? Does he now divorce six wives? Pick your favorite. Um, how, how, does that, how does that flesh out? And... Uh, it's a great question, and I, let me just say this. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, we've never talked about this with our elders on how we would respond to that specific question, so I'm going to speak off the cuff. Don't hold me to this. Uh, what, what I would say is when we try to convert them to be heterosexual, no, we're going to try to convert them to be followers of Jesus. Um, that, that was my biggest problem with, like, the, the Christian pushback to gay marriage 
it, I don't think gay marriage is a good thing in any possible way. But the fact, if, if a gay person gets married or doesn't get married, there's no more people going to heaven or going to hell. Uh, the, the issue is not if they're gay or not. The issue is have they given their life to Jesus. And, and if we keep gay people from getting married, that doesn't mean all of a sudden they're Christians. Uh, and, and so my goal for a homosexual is not how can we figure out how to get you to not be a homosexual. My goal for anybody who walks through those doors is how can we get you to yield your life to Jesus Christ? How can we get you to fully submit your heart to Christ? Um, and, and in that process, once we get you to the place where you realize that Jesus is Lord of my life, then we can come alongside you and begin to disciple you and begin to point out, okay, here's some areas in your life, whatever that looks like, that maybe don't measure up. How, how can we help you to, to push past this? As far as the divorce question, um, my best response to that is we would have them pursue a divorce because I don't believe there's anybody in the, there's anybody who's married in a gay marriage in the eyes of God. Uh, even though they're in a gay marriage in, in the eyes of the land, I don't believe they're in a gay marriage in the eyes of God. And so we, we would probably ask them to pursue that. I don't think they can stay in a gay marriage and, and happily pursue God. Like I, I think that they would be they would be uncomfortable and miserable, and, and divorce is painful, and obviously when they've adopted kids, and this is why this issue is such a big deal, because the further into this identity that people go, the harder it's going to be to help them towards God's best, and so that would be a very gentle conversation. It wouldn't be a, here, by, this, by Friday, you need to be divorced and moved out, um, like that, that would be difficult. Chances are, in most of those cases, it's probably going to be one of them who gives their life first, um, and, and then you've got that internal tension as well. Um, so that would be very, that's a freaking awesome question. That's the best question I was texted in uh, this whole series. Um, and probably not the best answer I gave, but there you go. Uh, so you can breathe. We're not talking about homosexuals anymore. It's over. Um, hopefully you got something that you can take and you can apply and, and be, be blessing to you. Next week, we're talking about questions of suffering. How, how can a good God let bad things happen in the world? Be here for it. Look forward to it, guys. We love you. Y'all have a great day.